Grace and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. It's that time of year again. That time of year when, you're, when a pencil is your friend, a pen, not so much. A time of year when you have to stop and think and maybe mess up a couple times. Yes, it's the time of year when you have to remember to sign your checks and notes and diary entries 22 instead of 21. And I, for one, am ready to mess up on this dozens of times if previous years are any indication. It doesn't really make sense, does it? The new year is so predictable. You know it's coming 364 days in advance, and yet it still takes me by surprise. I still will end up signing something 2021 and need to erase it, throw it away. Doesn't make sense. You should see it coming. Same with Jesus' birth. God, from near the beginning of the of the of the creation of the universe when we fell into sin right away he promised us a savior a savior to be born to be born as our savior from sin to vanquish our foes the devil to crush the serpent's head that was right away and then throughout the old testament to people like abraham and david god reaffirmed those promises reminding us holding out before our eyes the promise of a savior to be born to save us all through the prophets of the old testament giving prophecy after prophecy to keep us mindful of the fact that this messiah would come and then when he does what happens the people who are most expected to get it don't seem to notice at all. The scribes, the teachers of the law, Matthew says, these are your big Bible nerds. These are your people who are doing very little else than reading their Bibles and sharing it with people. They show in our gospel lesson, they can quote Micah chapter 5, which we looked at a couple weeks ago together. They know the prophecies. They know the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. They know where he's going to come from. They know what he's going to come to do. But when the time comes, they don't seem to care. They seem to completely miss the significance, like me on January 2nd in 2022, still writing 2021, totally missing it. But Herod is a different story. Herod is an interesting character. To put it lightly, Herod is not a good guy. He's a talented leader. He's a gifted governor. But Herod himself is a paranoid person. He's a bit of a conspiracy theorist, you might say. Earlier on in Herod's career, he suspected that his own wife and two of his children were conspiring against him. So what did he do? He had them killed. Because no one was going to take his throne from him, not even his own family. And then he hears this stuff about a king of the Jews being born, about a salvation, about God himself coming among us. And he says, oh no, you're not going to take my throne from me. So he wants to find out where this baby is to be born. 
He's not particularly a believer in the Old Testament. He doesn't know the prophecies himself. He needs to consult those Bible nerds, those scribes and teachers of the law to find out. But his intention is clear. He wants to kill Jesus. We find that out later on in Matthew's Gospel because Herod commits one of the worst atrocities recorded in the Bible as he murders children in an attempt to snuff out this king of the Jews. Marriage expert John Gottman says that your marriage is in trouble not when you fight, because fighting is kind of normal. Two sinful people in a relationship will have disagreements and will express those disagreements in less than healthy ways. John Gottman says one thing you really have to watch out for, though, is when the fighting stops, when you stop bringing up those issues that are important to you, when you stop talking through your issues and instead think, ah, what's the point? When you stop caring enough about your spouse to talk about what you're going through, that's something you got to watch out for. When your relationship is shrouded by a cloud of cold apathy. Herod was not a good guy, but at least he reacted some way to the, to the birth of Jesus Christ. His reaction missed the mark. He didn't understand what Jesus came to do. He didn't understand that Jesus was not here to take an earthly throne and to rule over an earthly place. He was the spiritual king of the Jews. But at least he had a reaction. He reacted with disgust and disturbance and all of Jerusalem with him because they knew what this guy was capable of when he was angry. At least he treated the birth of Christ as important even if he gave it a negative light. The scribes, the teachers of the law, they didn't seem to care at all. Apathetic, cold apathy, when they should have known all along. Brothers and sisters, we are somewhere in this lesson. Far be it from us to be like Herod and to interpret Jesus as a threat, right? Far be it from us to think that Jesus is a threat to whatever we're trying to hang on to in this life and get angry when Jesus seems like he's going to take away our earthly kingdom. We've got to be careful that we're not like the scribes and the teachers of the law either. That as much Bible knowledge as we have, as many times as we've been to church, as much as we've read the Bible, that we completely miss the significance of it. Now let's be more like the Magi. Because you see, today we're celebrating epiphany, revelation, appearance, a light bulb going off. An epiphany does not leave you the same as you were before. You're working on something really, really diligently in your garage or on a Lego set, and you're running into the same problem over and over and over, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. Eureka, epiphany, I figured it out. I figured out a solution to my problem. You do not go back to the same erroneous way of trying to work on whatever it is you were working on. You have changed, haven't you? Let's be like the Magi and be changed by the epiphany of Jesus Christ. What are the Magi? Great question. <laughs> the Magi were people from the east, we are told, probably from Babylon, 
The Magi were people who liked mumbo-jumbo, who sometimes got into witchcraft, and who were astrologers. They cared a lot about your sign and looking at the stars. These Magi loved intelligence and studying for its own sake, and it seems like they got their hands on an Old Testament. And they read some of those prophecies about Jesus' coming and how he was going to come and where he was going to come. And they were interested. Doesn't mean they necessarily knew who God was or believed in him, but they were interested in seeing where Jesus was. And then what happens? God shines a star in the sky to guide them to where Christ is. God shows the Magi a sign that they would see to show them Jesus. God knows how the Magi work. He knows that they are obsessed with the stars. So he knows they'll be looking in the night sky. And he guides them to Christ in a way that they will see. God does not promise, brothers and sisters, that he will use signs and miracles and wonders to guide us to Christ. But God does treat us the same in this. He knows how we are. He knows what we are. God knows that we are psychological creatures, that we read, that we talk, that we listen, that we ponder, that we study, that we discuss. So what does he do? He gives us something to read, to talk about, to listen to, to discuss, to study. He gives us the word. Why? To do that same thing for us, what he was doing with the star for the Magi to guide us to Christ. God knows that we are people with five senses, that we think, that we feel, that we see, we taste, we touch. So what does he do? He gives you a moment in your life when you felt water on your head in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where other people were there and they watched it happen so that you could know for the rest of your life that you have been guided to Christ through your baptism. In a couple minutes, God knows how we think and we feel, how we respond with our senses, so he gives us a supper to have together to guide us to Christ using our senses. The same thing. Epiphany, showing us that baby in the manger, but revealing to us who he really is. He's your savior. The one promised all the way back at the beginning of the world, the one promised again to Abraham, the one promised again to David, and through the prophets throughout the centuries, this is it. This is Jesus, the one born to crush the serpent's head, the one born to crush your sin, the one born to forgive you of everything and to give you life. That's who this is. Don't make Herod's mistake and think that he's some sort of threat. He's your spiritual king. And don't make the scribe and Pharisees' mistake of missing the significance of it. This is your gift of eternal life. This is God's love for you incarnate. This is your salvation, the fulfillment of the promise. Don't miss it. The Magi, they seek Jesus out, they get there, and what do they give him? Gold, a solid gift choice. Who of us wouldn't appreciate some gold? People showing up at our house giving us this gold. But they also give him frankincense. That is not a Halloween monster. Frankincense is a resin 
collected from different uh, saps of different trees could be used cosmetically. Very expensive, though. And myrrh, an extremely expensive perfume. Smells pretty nice, I would imagine. All expensive, wonderful gifts from the Magi's homeland bestowing upon this person that they recognize as super-duper important. But is this appropriate? Are these gifts given to Jesus, do they come anywhere close to matching the gift he has given us? Not a chance. You could empty your bank account and give all of your money, everything that you have to Jesus, and it wouldn't scratch the surface of what he has done for you by saving you from hell and from the devil and from your own sin. You could give up everything that you have, your cars, your house, your clothes, your, all of your belongings, add up the total, and it wouldn't come anywhere close to giving Jesus the honor that he deserves from you and me for all that he has done. So how should we respond appropriately now that we have been guided to Christ? Well, remember the Magi's question. Where is this one born king of the Jews? We have seen his star and have come to do what? To worship him. Jesus is worthy of your worship. Jesus is worthy of your praise, of your service, of yourself. Jesus is not just interested in your stuff. He's interested in you. The way that we worship him is by living the life he has given us by living out the relationship he has restored with God, by being you. Jesus has robed you in his righteousness. He has created a new you, given you a new heart epiphany. You are a brand new person, like a light bulb going off in your soul. Worship Jesus by being you. You have been guided to Christ through word, through sacrament, you now see who this baby is. You know him for what he is, the fulfillment of promise, the Messiah, the Christ, your Savior. Now, be guided by him for the rest of your life, living out who he has made you to be, going back again and again to how God reaches our senses and teaches us again and again about this all-important relationship we have with him. You have been guided to Christ, through the gospel. Now be guided by Christ. Amen. At this time, I invite Michael